You're listening to the Passion Church Podcast. We believe that today's message will help you thrive in your relationship with Jesus as you follow Him. We'll be back after the podcast with more information. And now, today's message from Pastor Scott Brown, right here at Passion Church. Good morning, Passion Church. I am so excited to be here today. I get this way when I get to share with people. And you're the people I love to share with. Amen. So good morning. November 22nd. Time is spinning along. It's my wife's birthday today. So drop her a happy birthday on Facebook or something. Okay, let's, before I even pray, let's cut to the <coughs> chase here. Yes, I've got a bandage on my head. And rather than you wonder what this is, you know, all through the service, rather than listening to what I'm saying, like we all did with Rudy Giuliani last week when there was something on his head. Um, I had a procedure done. They removed a, a uh, what do you call it? What are those things called? Basal cell. And so I have a bandage on there. I'm okay, all right? Don't worry about me. Pray for me if you want because it hurts a lot sometimes, but it's healing splendidly. Amen. So let's just go on from there. Let's pray. Father, in the wonderful name of Jesus, and what a wonderful name that is. We just thank you for this morning for this word. We thank you for our lives. We thank you for you being who you are and showing us what you want to show us today. In spite of my ability to deliver or not deliver this the way it should exactly be said, I believe you are bigger and you can cause everyone to hear what they're supposed to hear this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Can you say amen to that? Amen. Here we go title of this is, Are You Big Enough to Be a Christian? Are you big enough to be a Christian? Are you enticed a little? Let's get in and see. And what I mean by that, are you able to hear, are you able to grow, and are you able to transform? <clears throat> are you still stuck where you were the day you got saved? How much will you allow yourself to grow? I'm gonna, I want to say something here, but anyone, I'm, I'm going to say something that if I heard someone say it from the pulpit, I would have freaked out years ago. But are you big enough to grow beyond your doctrine? Now, let me say this right off the bat. I'm not saying are you big enough to throw away your doctrine. I'm saying are you big enough to let your doctrine grow? Amen. Not to run it at odds with it, but are you big enough to let it grow because we don't, our, our doctrine does not cover it all no matter what it is. That's why everybody's is a little bit different, and yet people aren't wrong. We have to be able to grow in our doctrine and our understanding, but we don't throw our doctrine away to do that. Amen? Hallelujah. I'm going to start this morning in Mark 3, 1 and 2. I'm going to read out of the Passion Translation <clears throat> this morning. This chapter is titled, Jesus Heals on the Sabbath, so you know where we're going here. It says this, then Jesus left them and went again into the synagogue where he encountered a man who had an atrophied, paralyzed hand. Everyone was watching Jesus closely. Why? To see if he would heal the man. Well, that's good, right? Not exactly. To see if he would heal the man on the Sabbath, giving them a reason to accuse him of breaking the Sabbath rules. Here's something I'm amazed at. He was there with the people of God and they were trying to catch him in a good deed so they could find a way to kill him. Amen? 
And what I mean by that is, throughout Scripture, it was so easy for the demons to recognize exactly who Jesus was. Why could not the supposed people of God recognize who Jesus was? All the demons knew who he was. The devil knew who he was. But the church at that time could not recognize him. That's bizarre. Think about that. And not only that, when he really showed himself as God, they wanted to get rid of him. <clears throat> and why did they do why did they want that? Because he operated outside of their doctrine. You can't be from God because you don't fit in the set of rules. What set of rules is that? Well, basically the law. Okay. The law as you interpreted it. And everyone agreed on because they had to have something. We're going to talk more about that. But do you understand what I'm saying? Why could the demons recognize Jesus everywhere? But his people couldn't. That's crazy, man. Even today, a lot of times, God's people rarely recognize Jesus when he shows up. Why? He wasn't doing it the way they saw that it should be done. So therefore, they begin to look for fault with him so they could discredit what he was doing, his ministry and his work. And if they could discredit him, then they, who were the problem, would not have to grow, change, or transform. You know, sometimes we're presented with stuff that is so far beyond <clears throat> what our relationship with God entails that we can't receive it, yet it doesn't actually argue with our doctrine. Do you understand what I'm saying? Years ago, I used to listen to a lot of teachers. I still do, but I used to listen to a lot more years ago. And sometimes someone would say something that I would think was just a little bit too far out. But God told me to treat it like prophecy and take it and put it on the shelf. And sure enough, a year or two later, I would find myself totally in agreement with that. What had happened? I had grown. I had transformed enough. I had gotten enough more information, and more importantly, I had gone further in my relationship with God so that I now could be, under, be able to understand some of the deeper things of God. And the gentleman who I would have put an X through and said no was absolutely correct. He just had a better understanding of it because his relationship had gone further than mine. Our relationship with God never ends. We'll be having our relationship with God throughout all eternity. All eternity. Because we're constantly to be growing. And I've said this before, but I'll say it again in case someone's listening who hasn't heard it. <clears throat> or maybe you just need reminding. God created the universe with, with his words, and the universe is still constantly expanding. Why? Well, because his words are living and active, and they always will be. So the universe is constantly expanding. Why is that a good thing? Because we're going to live for all eternity. So we will never see everything, because it'll constantly be growing, and we'll constantly be living. Can you imagine if you were living eternal and, and suddenly you had seen and done everything? Horrible. I lived in Hawaii. I lived on Oahu when I was in the Navy. I was stationed at Pearl. And man, what a beautiful, beautiful island. And I loved it. And it was just gorgeous. And I would go hiking in the mountains and the rainforest and, you know, be body surfing out at Makapu and doing all sorts of cool stuff. And I used to ride the bus because it was cheaper, ride a bicycle. And then finally, after I was there about a year, I bought a car. And man, that island got so small when I bought that Mustang. 
302 Mustang. Yay. But when I bought that Mustang, that island got so small so quick, and I began to get bored because I had kind of seen almost everything. I had gone around it so many times. The universe is constantly expanding. We're going to live for eternity. We're never going to get there. How awesome. How awesome God is. Anyway, these people were not willing to grow. And they were not willing to change. They were not willing to transform. They were not even willing to repent, which means change your mind. But can we all say there was more than what they had in their doctrine? There's more than what we have in our doctrine. But it won't throw our doctrine away. And it wouldn't have ruined their doctrine if it hadn't have been interpreted wrong. Amen? I'm going to say something else that might freak some people out, but you need to hear it in the right, in the right way. A good argument should never temper the thought process of a spiritual person, one who can hear God. Now, I'm not talking about people who are, are, you know, hearing all sorts of bizarre and strange stuff that does not line up with the Word, does not line up with your doctrine. But when God shares something with you, and His Word agrees with it, and, and, it, and it doesn't, you know, defy the good foundation that you have in you, you should receive it. Amen? You should receive it. It's taken me years to receive some things. Uh, and I'm still in that process. And there's stuff that I thought was kind of nuts. And the funny thing is, there's stuff that I thought was kind of nuts that now that I have a better understanding of it, <clears throat> I have a better understanding of it than some of the people who proclaimed it to me. But it never argued with my doctrine. Now, if this statements that I make and make you nervous, you know, if you're afraid not to abandon what you've learned, but afraid to add to it and grow, you need to go to God and find out why. Mark 7, verse 1 says this. One day, those known as the Pharisees and certain religious scholars came from Jerusalem and gathered around Jesus, and they were shocked to find that some of Jesus' disciples ate bread without first observing the prescribed Jewish ritual of hand-washing before eating their meal. He's breaking the rules again. He's breaking the rules. The prescribed Jewish ritual of hand-washing before eating their meal. You're hearing what I'm saying? For the Pharisees, like all other Jews, will not eat without first performing a ritual of pouring water over their cupped hands to keep the tradition of the elders. Similarly, when returning from the marketplace, <clears throat> they ceremonially wash themselves before eating. They also observe many other traditions, such as ceremonially washing cups, pitchers, and kettles. So the Pharisees and their religious scholars asked Jesus, Why don't your disciples live according to the age-old traditions passed down by our elders? They should first ceremonially wash their hands before eating. Why don't they do that? There used to be a tradition. It's really interesting because my pastor down here, Pastor Ryan, did it a week or so ago, and I, and I, I thought it was cool. Uh, at the beginning of service, he said, we don't often do this, but let's do this today. Let's all, you know, we used to do it, but let's all rise for the reading of the Word. Now, is that wrong? No. Is that a good thing? Yes. Is that a bad thing? No. Do we have to do it? No. If we don't do it, if the church, you know, if I go to a church that always did that, and then I go to a new church because I've moved, and they don't do that, should I just put an X through that church because they don't do that? No. That's a tradition. It's a good thing. It's not a bad thing. But it's not the only way to do something there. Amen? Traditions. God said the traditions of men make the word of God void of power. 
When your traditions become more important than the actual Word of God, you're off the, off the track that you should be on. You've let, you've let go of your power and you're off in the, the land of the flesh, actually. I don't want to get too far off here. Let's get back to what we're saying. Mark 3, verse 4 says this. He turned to all those gathered there and he said, Which is it? Is it against the law to do evil on the Sabbath or to do good? To destroy a life or to save one? But no one answered him a word. Mark 7, 7. He said this. Their worship is nothing more than a charade, for they continue to insist that their man-made traditions are equal to the instructions of God. They were operating under the law. And you need to understand something. And you need to be open to hear this. They weren't given the law because it was the great all-inclusive fixer of all things. They were given the law because they actually asked for it. Because they came before the mount to see God, and it freaked them out. And, and, and they said, Moses, no, 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 no. We can't do this. This is too scary. Let him talk to you. You write down what he says. Just tell us and we'll do it. Just tell, give us a list of rules and we'll do it. Now, see, a lot of people say, well, but God said it's a good thing. Well, it was a good thing because the law was about to become the school teacher of these people. Amen? It was about to become the school teacher of them until the real solution came. But they needed the law so they would see that nothing they would ever do would measure up to what God had for them. David was a man after God's own heart. God said that a lot. And if you read some of the things David did, you, you would have to say that that's crazy. How could David be a man after God's own heart? Very simply, it wasn't because he did things right, but rather because he wanted to do things right. He really did. He really wanted to do what was right, and when he found out it was wrong, he was teachable, he was correctable, and he repented. God doesn't expect us never to make a mistake. That's what grace is for. God expects us to own it and change our mind. Amen? That's a man after God's own heart. Not one who never does anything wrong, but one who is, when he is shown what is wrong, owns that mistake, repents of it, changes his mind, and goes on from there. Now, the law had taken the place of relationship, and that's why Jesus had to come and die. Because a righteous sacrifice had to be made to bring us back into right standing with God so that we could have the sort of relationship with us. What kind of relationship is that, Scott? A relationship where he could come and live inside of us because we were holy and righteous. Where he could make his home in us, and we're supposed to abide in him, not visit. Amen. But he could come and make his home in us. So we could have this constant conversation and leading and guiding back and forth if we learn to tune in to what he's saying, if we learn to tune in to what he's doing. Amen? Jesus said it this way, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Now that word see in there jumps off the page for me. And that, that is a verb, okay, which means it's an action or a state of being. So that means to see is a present tense thing. Present tense thing. If you look at the difference between the disciples when Jesus was with them and then after the day of Pentecost, when suddenly they just understand things, and Peter sounds like a scholar even though he hasn't been to school, 
he was present tense. Amen. He was seeing the kingdom of God. He was understanding it because he'd been transported into it. And that present tense relationship is what they were lacking under the law. But it was coming. Then he looked around at everyone, and Jesus was moved with indignation and grieved by the hardness of their hearts. Why? They had no room for the truth outside of their rules, outside of their understanding of it. And he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched out his hand, and it was instantly healed. Did they celebrate and praise God? No, they got ticked off. Here's a miracle that only God could do. Here's mercy. Here's grace. This man had not earned that. Jesus' compassion reached out and touched him, and his hand was restored, and they got annoyed. I don't even want to say how, I guess I'm going to say it. You could see this in, in the political climate today. It doesn't matter if what someone does is right or not, or good or not. If it doesn't fit in someone else's set of rules and plans for how things should be done, they will villainize that person. They will demonize him. They will find things that he did wrong so they can get rid of him. Then looking around, I'm oh, sorry. Jesus healed a man, something only God could do, and they, they, they were determined now, to, now they're going to kill him. Is this crazy or what? Yet the demons were constantly seeing this because there was no room for him and his ways in their religious mindset, and he was now a threat to their rather lacking way of life. Put it short, they were scared. Put it even more short, the enemy, Satan, was scared, witless, and was operating through his people to kill the threat to his own twisted little kingdom. These guys did not even realize they were puppets on a string. And unless you're born again, and God has come to make his home in you, you don't know what's going on either. I used to try to read the Bible before I got saved. It was drivel. I, it was the driest, most boring thing I had ever seen. And then when, after I got saved, it was, it was a heartbeat. It was my lifeblood. It was about me. Amen? glory. You know, seriously, I couldn't see it either until God showed up in a computer room one day and I dared him to save me and he, he did. Why? Because I backed him into a corner. He was laughing the whole time, I'll guarantee you. Mark 3.11. Whenever a demon saw him, Jesus, it would throw the person down at Jesus' feet, screaming and saying, You are the Son of God. But Jesus would silence the demons and sternly order them not to reveal who he was. Here's another one. Mark 3, 23. The religious scholars who arrived from Jerusalem were saying, Satan has possessed him. He casts out demons by the authority of the prince of demons. Jesus called them to himself and spoke to them using parables. How can Satan cast out Satan. I think I would have said it this way. What are you, stupid? Why would, the, why would the enemy work against himself? When it got to the point that they couldn't deny it was a miracle, they had to attribute it to, to the enemy, which is very close to the unforgivable sin, if not it in itself. And these were the, these were the religious scholars of the day. These were supposedly God's people because they relied on their, their interpretation of the law and the rules they had made because of it. And it eliminated all other truth. Mark 3, 34 says this, Looking into the eyes of those who were sitting in a circle around them, he said, Here are my true family members, for whoever does the will of God is my brother, sister, and my mother. 
I want to implore you with this proverb, 22, 17. Listen carefully and open your heart. Drink in the wise revelation that I impart. You will become winsome and wise when you treasure the beauty of my words and always be prepared to share them. Yes, that's what I love doing. I love sharing things he shares with me. Always be prepared to share them at the appropriate time. You know, sometimes we share the Word of God and take people's bad reaction as their problem when really it was not the appropriate time to share that. For I am releasing these words to you this day, yes, even to you, so that your living hope will be found in God alone. Who are you hoping in right now? The people counting ballots? Your hope should be in God alone. For He is the only one who is always true. Pay attention to those and to these excellent sayings of the threefold things. For within my words you will discover true and reliable revelation. They will give you serenity so that you can reveal the truth of the word of the one who sends you. Proverbs 22, 29. If you are uniquely gifted in your work, you will rise and be promoted. You won't be held back. Are you hearing? Are you present tense aware of him? What's going on? Because man does not live by bread alone but by every word, present tense, present tense, that proceeds from the mouth of God. God is still speaking. Are we still hearing? Are we aware of, of, of this kingdom? Are we hearing? Are we seeing? Are we doing? Are we enlarging our understanding through this relationship? You know why this is important? Because we will stand before kings. And one day we'll stand before the king of kings. And I don't want God to say to me, you know, he'll love me no matter what, but I don't want to hear, what, what did you do with what I gave you? Worse yet, what the heck were you doing? <laughs> I don't want to hear that. His plan for us is incredible, and he has a plan for us, you know that. But it comes through the relationship. So don't let your partial understanding of things keep him from bringing you further down the road that you need to go on. Practice being aware. Practice, you know, the greatest way to hear from God is to talk to him all day long. Because sooner or later you'll stop and then you'll hear something. That's what I learned. I used to just walk and I would pray in the spirit, but sometimes I'd just speak in English and I would talk to him. And then I noticed when I stopped sometimes to think about what I was saying, suddenly this thought would drift in that was, that was from him because I didn't know it before then. And we are to be living in this constant relationship with him because he never takes a break. He never takes a break. I used to tell people, don't stay up all night worrying about stuff. He's up anyway. Don't worry about it. He's got it. Go to sleep. We need to not exploit, but well, I don't think you can exploit your relationship with God. We need to be aware of this relationship with God and participate in it. And not just check in when there's a crisis, but be living with him all the time. And then he won't be pulling you out of messes. You'll be walking around them and stepping over them. Amen. Hallelujah. He's good. So are you big enough to be a Christian? Are you able to hear? Are you able to grow? Are you able to transform? Are you able to repent? Father, I pray that some of the things I've said today will touch hearts, change people, and they'll be useful tools, maybe little mini revelations, or maybe just a sharpening of an already present awareness of you, your presence, and your goodness, and your great plan for us all. In Jesus' name. Blessings on every one of you. We love you. We'll see you soon. <laughs>